What a time of year. What a time to celebrate and to sing, to worship, and just to be together as a church family. I did kind of say that tonight was the only announcement. That's really not true. We have Christmas Eve service uh, that I hope you'll be a part of. It's usually, and it will be this year, very simple. Uh, it won't be as long as a regular service, but we will worship together and celebrate uh, Christmas Eve together. So I hope you'll be here at 6 o'clock. Uh, this year we are planning to, just to do just some special time of worship and we'll close a silent night and we'll go out into the night with our families and everything. So I hope you'll be here on this, uh, this week. And then next Sunday will be a special Sunday school as uh, we close out the apologetics series that we've been studying and all the adults will meet in here uh, during Sunday school and uh, Brother Scott will be leading that and do some uh, practical explanation of some of the things you've talked about. So I hope you'll be here and be a part of that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This week we're going to go backwards, if you will. Two weeks ago we looked at the shepherds, and then last week we looked at the wise men, or the magi, or as the choir sang about this morning, the kings coming. I destroyed that last Sunday morning by saying we didn't really know they were kings. Scripture doesn't say anything about that. And Matt said he felt self-conscious now singing that song in the musical tonight and, and this morning. He shouldn't. Uh, we still look at them as some type of royalty or whatever. And of course, the week before, I preached on the shepherds and the angels coming to the shepherds, and I destroyed the whole vision of, of, shepherd, of, of angels in white linen robes and pleasant, beautiful, sweet little uh, angelic beings. And Mary Lou came up to me after the sermon that morning. She said, well, I don't care. My angels next Sunday night are going to be really pretty and white and everything else. <laughs> they didn't have wings, though. That was good. But anyway, it was, it was kind of an interesting... Uh, uh, I've just had fun destroying everything about Christmas, I guess, this year, but uh, not with intention. I want us to think about the glory of the birth. But I want us to go back before the shepherds and before the Magi to the announcement that came. And I want to talk about the angels again just a little bit because the angel Gabriel takes such a, a central point. And, and last Sunday night, the, the children led us in that uh, the Fear Not Factor was the name of their musical. And it was very good. message was very good about the announcement of Christ. And the angels continually saying, Fear not. Don't be afraid. So I kind of played off of that with my title this morning and just said there were a lot of fear nots going on before the advent, before the incarnation, before Jesus was actually born. And one of them took place uh, early on, and Luke records it as really the first thing after his introduction, when the birth of John the Baptist is foretold. So hear the word of the Lord as we read. A rather lengthy passage today, and I'll break it up a little bit, but I want you to see the, the glory that was taking place prior uh, even to that night in Bethlehem. Verse 5 of chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias, or Zechariah is the other pronunciation of that name, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous 
in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, which was quite an interesting statement to make about this, uh, this priest and his wife in a day when basically religious involvement and religious rituals had become very perfunctory, had become very routine. There was not a lot of real meaning uh, attached to it. So Luke says here, I want you to know that Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous. They took their faith seriously. They really were looking for the coming Messiah. They were anticipating that God really was going to fulfill his promises. And so they were there. They were married. They were righteous. But they had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now notice he was not of the ones who would go into the Holy of Holies. He was not of the high priestly order, but rather he was one of the the priestly order that, that served in the, in the court of the priest outside of the Holy of Holies who would go in and burn incense. But they were chosen to do that by casting of lots. Most historians say that in the time of Jesus, this particular order of priests probably had a, a, a number like 20,000 within it. And so they would cast lots to see who could go in and who would have the privilege and the joy of offering incense unto the Lord. And, and Luke tells us that on this particular occasion, they cast Lot, it was chosen by Lot, and the Lot fell to Zacharias to go in and burn incense. What a, what a, what a coincidence. They just cast Lot, and it happened to fall on Zacharias. No, the Lord's hand was in it, because there was a purpose for Zacharias going in and burning incense on this particular day. When he went in, according to the custom of the priestly office, and then in verse 10, and the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. This was representative of praying for the coming Messiah, coming, uh, praying for the promise of God to be fulfilled in Messiah King. And the people were outside praying, and Zacharias was in at the altar of incense, and he was burning incense, praying before the Lord, anticipating that coming. And then verse 11 and the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, appeared to him, standing just to the right of the altar of incense. Now, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. There we go. The angel is seen, and all of a sudden, fear is the, is the factor that's in his life. Fear is the thing that is the natural response to seeing an angel. Verse 13 says, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord our God, their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient 
to the attitude of righteousness so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that's a rather long uh, announcement by Gabriel, the angel from the Lord. That's a rather lengthy expression. And i got to be honest with you, I'm not sure how much Zechariah really heard when it was being said. Remember, he's gripped with fear. Remember, he's seeing an angel there standing by the altar of incense. He's probably burned incense here before unto the Lord. He's probably offered uh, prayers here before the altar of incense before this time. But yet he is there now, and an angel of, of the Lord appears beside the altar of incense, and he is gripped with fear. I don't know how much he heard of this at that point, but he understood it later. And he agonized over it, and he believed it. But his first response was not a, a response to saying, okay, Lord, okay, whatever the Lord says through you, angel, I will accept, I will do, I will be obedient. That wasn't his response. Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? How can I know you're telling me the truth? How can I be sure that what you're saying is real? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And I like that. He didn't call his wife an old woman. Zacharias was smart. I'm an old man, and my wife even is advanced in years. How, how can this be? This is nonsense. But she's barren. And the angel answered him. And Gabriel seems to have just a twinge of irritation in his voice here. And, and, and the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent. You, you want a sign? You, you want to know, know that this is really going to happen? Okay, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you something where you can know it for certain. Here it is. You're going to be silent. You're going to be unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home, went back to Elizabeth. I have this, I got to tell you, I've got this picture of, a, of Zacharias coming out of the temple and it's burned in my mind that it's the same picture I saw on the television at Nelson Mandela's memorial service when the, the fake interpreter was standing there acting as though he were interpreting. They said he was speaking gibberish. And the signs were just kind of strange. And, and I got to tell you, I got to see, I, I kind of see Zacharias coming out of the temple there. The people have been waiting. They want a word. They want to hear what took place as he offered the incense and prayers unto the Lord. And he comes out and he's just doing this. Makes no sense at all what he's doing. It's, it's gibberish. But they know that something unique has happened in the temple. They know that something unusual has taken place before the altar of incense. Something that doesn't happen often. You know, I've got a feeling that 
months later, at least nine months later, maybe a few more, when, when Elizabeth gave birth and, and he was able to speak again, I, I, I've almost got this, this feeling that Zachariah said, okay, let me tell you what happened now that I can talk again. Let, let me tell you what took place a year ago. I was just an ordinary old Jewish priest serving the temple, and the Lord gave me an amazing honor. We cast lots to see who God would choose to go into the temple and burn incense before him, and the lot fell to me. When I got in there, as everyone was worshiping outside, I went in. Now, as you go into the to burn incense, you're, you're doing the ceremony, but you're praying the whole time. As priest, my job is to pray for the nation as a whole, especially praying that Messiah will come. But I was also praying for my wife and myself too. You see, we'd never had children, and now we're too old, and at least that's what we thought. And this really is rough in our culture to have no children. It's, it's viewed as lacking the blessings of God. Now, we don't recognize that in our 21st century culture the same way, but, but to Zachariah and Elizabeth, it was a shame. It, it was a lack of honor because they felt that God had not blessed them. So he went home after losing his voice. And it says, After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept to herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Her barrenness was a disgrace. She wanted so to have children, but she was far too old. When, when, uh, when Zechariah said, how will I know this to be certain for I'm an old man, my wife's advanced in years, doesn't that sound a lot like Abraham? Except when God told Abraham that he was going to have a child at about 100 years of age, it says Abraham fell down on the ground and started laughing. He thought, this is really a funny joke. But God is pulling on us, but it came about. Same thing came about with Zacharias and with Elizabeth. There's an interesting contrast here that I want you to see. Zacharias said, how am I going to be certain of this? Gabriel, angel, warrior of God who came to bring this announcement. How am I going to be sure? And, and the angel struck him mute, basically because of his unbelief. Because of his just not believing that the message that God has sent was a true message. Contrast that with Mary. We're not really talking about Mary this morning, but contrast that with Mary in, in the next passage. I won't read the whole passage, but the angel of the Lord appeared to, to Mary and, and said, Don't be afraid. Same, same idea. God has blessed you, and you're going to bear a son, and that son's going to be called Jesus, and, and, you will, and he will save his people from his, their sins, and and he goes into all that detail with Mary. And Mary's response is found in verse 38. And she says, even though she says, look, I'm a virgin, how can these things be? In verse 38, she says, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, the doulos of the Lord. I am the servant, the slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Zechariah said these things are impossible. And so he was struck silent. 
Mary said, I don't understand how these things can be. I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. I don't understand how these things can be. But I want you to know, whatever you say, may it be done to me. I just want to serve the Lord. I just want to be obedient to God. And it was done. Zacharias probably continued to tell his story about just fear, the fear. I mean, can you imagine... We're standing here, let's just make an analogy, it doesn't really fit as an analogy, but we're offering the Lord's Supper, and, and the Lord, we're about to serve the Lord's Supper, and all of a sudden on the side of the, the Lord's Supper table, there appeared an angel there. Let me tell you something, as your pastor, I'd probably have a heart attack. Kind of a feeling that's where Zacharias was that, that day. Just about ready to just die out of fear that gripped him prophecy was true and Mary heard about Elizabeth and went to visit with her and the story's there you can read it and Mary sings praises to the Lord in verses 46 through 56 but then I want you to come to verse 57 where John is born it says now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son just as Gabriel had said her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. A lot of celebration going on. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, part of the ritual, part of the law, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. That's the neighbors and the relatives and the family. Why, Zacharias can't speak anymore. At least he's got a son now that'll be able to speak. We'll give him the same name, and he'll honor his father through his life. But his mother answered and said, no. No, indeed. He shall be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is named John, called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted the child to be called. And he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. Quite unusual. And at once, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came upon all those living around them, and all, and all the matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. You know, we sometimes read in Scripture and, and we think that, you know, these, these miracles, these appearances of angels, because they're all kind of put right here together, all in, in order, especially in Luke and in Matthew and the Annunciation and all that of the coming of the Lord, we think, well, those are just sort of commonplace back then. They were just as rare then as ever. Realize that when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, 
That's really the first word from the Lord since the prophet Malachi, and that's about 400 years earlier. There have been 400 years of silence. There's been 400 years where God has not really spoken through a prophet or through anyone, and, and no one has heard from the Lord. And they've been dark years. They've been years where they've turned away from the truth and the heartfeltness of their faith, and they just carried it on perfunctory, just carried it on out of ritual and out of routine. And now in the temple, here is this lowly priest, not even a high priest, Prophet Gabriel speaks to him and brings the first announcement from the Lord in 400 years. And God is saying, I'm about to do something unique. I'm about to prepare in you a forerunner of the Lord, a forerunner of the Messiah. I'm about to prepare through you and your wife, Elizabeth, who have not been able to have children all of your days, even into your old age, but I'm going to give you a son, and he is going to be a righteous man. He is going to proclaim righteousness and proclaim truth, and he is going to prepare the way. He's going to prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. And after his voice is opened, and after the people are pondering this and, and debating it and arguing it and thinking about it and saying, this child, what in the world is this child going to turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord is certainly upon him. Zechariah speaks. you got to imagine this has been pent up with him for an, at least nine months. So something he's been wanting to say and wanting to proclaim, and now that he's seen the presence and he's seen the, the promise of the Lord fulfilled, he breaks forth. And verse 67 says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. Will you notice there the past tense? Jesus has not yet been born. Messiah has not yet come, and Messiah certainly has not yet gone to the cross as the Redeemer. But Zacharias in his prophecy uses the prophetic past tense, which, which is, is just an acknowledgement of the promise, just like Paul does in Romans chapter, chapter 8 when he says all these things that God has accomplished and then he gets to the end, he says, and all those whom he called and, and, and justified, those he also glorified. He speaks in past tense because the promise of God is so certain and so sure that he can speak of it in the past tense. And so Zechariah does here. He's visited us. He's accomplished redemption. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, which is what Scott read from this morning, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God is a God of covenant. God is a God of promise. We'll, we'll hear that sung about and, and the narration about that tonight. He is a God of covenant promise and does not break that promise. And Zechariah revels in that. He, he rejoices in that. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. 
all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's speaking to his son now. John, you will be called the prophet of the Most High God. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us and shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That song of praise, that song of prophecy, that declaration of Zacharias that says, listen, God is doing a great work. He's preparing a prophet to prepare the way. And, and you know, you can't help but think about the baptism of Jesus when he comes down to the River Jordan. John is there baptizing. John is there doing what he's called to do. He's declaring repentance toward God, and he's baptizing those people. And they come to that point, and Jesus comes down to be baptized. And John gets the, the privilege of saying his greatest line ever. He, he gets the privilege at that point by the River Jordan to say what he was born to say. When Jesus baptized and goes up out of the water, John, with that long, bony, bony finger, no doubt, points to the one going up on the bank of the Jordan. And he looks at the people, and he looks at the one he's just baptized, and he says, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. John was born to say those words. John was born to point that finger at that man and say that's God's perfect, unblemished, redemption Lamb. That's the one that all these other lambs we've offered for generation after generation on the Day of Atonement. That's the lamb that all of them were pointing toward. That's the lamb that all of them were speaking of. That's the true lamb of God that has come into the world. Now, nobody in that group, nobody in that crowd... Expected to turn around and see Jesus transformed into a four-footed animal. They knew what John was saying. They knew that this was Messiah. They knew that this was the promised one. And that's what we celebrate this season. We celebrate the coming of the one who is to be the very Lamb of God on that cross. The only one who could fulfill that role because of his perfection. The only one who could fulfill that role because of his sinlessness. The only one to which John could point and say, there, in your hearing and in your vision, in your sight, is the Lamb of God. You know, I don't know what you think about in this Advent season. I don't know if you get so distracted by all the commercialism and by all of the stuff that you fail to see that the real 
purpose of this season is to acknowledge and celebrate and rejoice in the truth that the Lamb of God has come. The perfect Lamb. The unblemished Lamb. The only Lamb that can really with all effectiveness take away your sin. That's why we worship during the season. That's why we light Advent candles and think about His coming. That's why on, on, on Tuesday night we'll gather and, and on that eve celebrating His birth, we'll cry out with loud voices and song. He's worthy and He has come. And it was a holy night and it was a glorious night. It was a night that took this world and flipped everything. It was a night that changed everything. It was a night where the darkness was pierced by the perfect light of God's own Son. So you see, even to go back and to realize that that before the incarnation took place, before the advent took place, God was perfectly preparing for that night and for that life and for that ministry by speaking to a lowly, if you will, second-class priest who carried with him the shame of the nation because he and his wife had no children who were blessed that night by being the ones who brought in the one who would serve in the role of the prophet Elijah and prepare the way of the Lord. Are you prepared this season? Are you prepared to see him in all his glory? Are you prepared to worship him, the only true and living God, incarnate in a man. Even as I prayed, bringing in, in, in perfect unity, human and divine, the God-man. Are you prepared this Christmas season, this Advent season, to see that the cross was always behind the cradle? The purpose of the little baby being born was not so we could say, oh, how sweet. But so that we could ultimately say, oh, how gracious. How gracious is our God in giving us the gift of gifts of all time. Glory to Him. Honor to Him. Praise to Him. Are you ready this Christmas season? Say, thank you, God. I trust you. I believe you. I believe your promises. That if I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I will know eternal life. If I pay, faith, place my trust, my faith, my trust in Him alone, not in my goodness, 
but in Him alone. And I can know you. And I can experience your presence in my life this day and every day until the time I enter your perfect presence. And either I die or you come again. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Fear not. For he has come. Let's pray. Father, it is with great joy and great anticipation that at this day we think as though we are Old Testament saints, looking forward to the Messiah that has been promised, even in the dark years. Lord, we have been blessed with such a a glorious blessing that we don't have to look forward as they did. We do it in the season symbolically but but lord we can look back on the fulfillment of your promise the fulfillment of your truth lord i pray there will be a man or woman or young person in this room this morning that does not know the grace of that fulfillment that your grace will touch them this morning and draw them to christ that they will confess christ as their lord to the glory of god Father, I pray that men and women would consider this morning that the baby didn't stay a baby. The baby manifests himself as Lord God, creator, sustainer, redeemer of his people. Father, I pray you do a work in all our lives, non-believer and believer alike. Show us the glory of this season is in seeing Christ. For it's in his name we pray.